You're listening to BuddhistGeeks.com. August 6, 2007. Episode 31. Are you stuck? Get unstuck. In the second part of this interview, Vince, Daniel, and Hokai continue to explore the territory of meditation and psychology. They discuss the mastery of meditation techniques and how people can get unstuck if they are lost in the content and stories of their minds. This is part two of a three-part series. This episode of Buddhist Geeks is sponsored by the Do No Harm Movement. To find out more about the Do No Harm Movement and to receive a free Do No Harm bumper sticker and wristband, please visit www.donoharm.us. Do either of you have a sense of of how that's done? Is it is it simple as making a strong distinction between the two and saying I'm only going to focus on the process and seeing these characteristics that you'd mentioned and I'm not going to focus on the content or is there some way to healthfully integrate the two? I mean, obviously we're not always sitting around trying to see these different characteristics of experience that lead to realization. Do we, you know, is there a time and a place to to deal with the other, the content and try to work with content in a healthy way? I mean, is this is that the distinction that's usually made in the three trainings of ethics and you know concentration and insight? Is that is that what it's getting at, or? Well, well it's it's natural that in in your everyday life all these things tend to get messed up, uh, which is an ugly word of saying get integrated. Yeah. Uh-huh. But uh, <laughs> so, but when, when you go for a ten day intensive retreat, for example. Yeah. Uh, and the point of that retreat or the, the, uh, the emphasis of that retreat is doing meditation. And you are doing meditation for 12 or more hours there. Yeah. Uh, your, your purpose uh, when you do that meditation should be crystal clear. Mm. The meditation was never uh, constructed or was never designed as a therapeutic uh, activity, though it can have uh, therapeutic byproducts here and there. Primarily, it was designed as, as, as a method of going deeper into the experience, very fast reaching uh, quite an impersonal level. Mm. At that impersonal level, things begin uh, to have nothing to do with you as a person. Right. And at that point, if you are therapeutically inclined, you lose interest ah. because that experience has nothing to do with you. Right, right. And also, uh, that, uh, that level of experience becomes very challenging for your therapeutic motivation. Ah, right. So, actually, it's quite clear what one should do if one is uh, interested in pursuing some intensive meditation practice for a day or three days. One should get one's focus, one's, uh, one's motivation clear of other concerns, let's say in that way. In the same way that when, when one is doing intellectual study, for example, mm-hmm. of Abhidharma or some other Buddhist uh, doctrine, one should be clear that that will not in itself produce deeper experience or direct insight. Mm. So one's motivations should be kept adequate. Is that the right word? Sure, that works. I mean, that gets the point across. Yeah. If if one goes for a week of therapy, one should uh, do one's best to be comfortable, to feel uh, protected, uh, to get into the therapeutic process, etc. Which is, again, having a certain type of focus and purpose. Mm. I completely agree. Having been on a relatively large number of retreats, 
Um, a lot of them have uh, small groups, as I've mentioned, I think, on some previous posts. Yeah. And uh, the number of people who haven't been told to do something like, you know, drop the standard stories and tape loops of the mind and focus on their breath and try to notice things like impermanence and it rising on its own and those kinds of things. The number of people that actually do that, even among people who consider themselves hardcore meditators and serious Buddhists, is it's extraordinarily small. I mean, if you sit in a small group meeting, the number of people who actually say, well, I've been trying to notice my breath, and I'm really not sure I'm paying attention to exactly the right aspects of it. How can I master this technique? The number of those conversations and questions that happen you know, between student and teacher are almost non-existent. And instead, um, people just uh, sort of talk about this, oh, my back pain, oh, I'm having a lot of anger today, oh, you know, I'm trying to really just adjust to the setting, and oh, there was this person who was wandering around who I thought was really you know, cute, or you know, there was this person who I'm really mad at now, or whatever it is. And the number of people who are actually trying to master techniques is extraordinarily low. And so that puts the, the meditation teachers in this very interesting predicament. And the interesting mm-hmm. predicament is that if they try to, you know, be the hard ass and convince people to actually perhaps uh, follow their instructions, God forbid, uh, then, then people don't tend to like them a lot because it's not really where they are. And that teacher will not become very popular and will not get a lot of donations at the end of the retreat or whatever. And consequently, if they're an insight teacher making their living doing this, then that makes things uh, a lot more uh, difficult for them to actually really uh, lay the stuff out and be the kind of teacher that you imagine in the old monastery who, you know, made you sit outside in the snow for three days before you came in. And if you, you know, did anything out of line or, you know, weren't following instructions, they would, you know, make you go, you know, muck out the toilets for, you know, a year or something or who knows. And somewhere between those two is probably a reasonable balance. But I think the vast majority of uh, insight teachers in the West are so gentle with their students, which on the one hand is very nice and loving and kind and all that. And on the other hand, really, you know, does them, I think, a disservice because it doesn't inspire them to really learn to follow the instructions and really learn a good technique and really learn to get their concentration strong. And all those are the things that would really get them to seeing it on their own and doing it on their own and be self-empowered rather than reliant on um, some nice, mushy teacher. I think that uh, such uh, such uh, in in extreme cases, such teachers are like doctors who won't tell you you have a cancer because you might become frightened. Right, it's hmm. true. You know, and and those patients are like the patients they would rather not know what's wrong with them. It's a problematic situation. I mean, if if the point is learning some techniques, really and mastering uh, certain methods, then we should go for it. And if the point is uh, going along with each other nicely and uh, leaving nice donations and having a large number of people attending because uh, this whole setup is uh, very attractive and uh, I don't know what to say, then, uh, well, that's, then, then it's social activity, basically. Mm. You, someone's pro, someone's professional activity, of course. Right, right. Do you think? Do you think there's a line there? Do you think? I mean, there need to be enough people um, supporting teachers and and communities such that if there are practitioners, yeah, surely, surely, yeah, surely. That's that's a problem. Yeah, you you, you can't uh, if you wanna if you wanna propagate a certain method or a certain path, you need to have a base, right? A membership base, something. Of course, there is also the economic moment. Uh, I think we are being realistic about this, but I think there is still space, uh, yeah. perhaps on uh, among the core uh, core uh, community, of trying to push forward this agenda of uh, method-oriented practice and of mastery-oriented uh, way of pursuing those practices. Ah, uh, okay. 
That makes right. And what's sense. interesting, the vast majority of these people going on retreats are adults. And if you think about adult education and adult learning, you know, adults say go to college. And let's say I went to a college class and it was a class on, say, calculus. And on the first day, they told me to do the homework in the back of chapter one and solve a bunch of calculus problems. And instead of doing that, the next day, I turned in a long rambling essay about my childhood. Um, in a college setting, that wouldn't fly. You know what I mean? And I would quickly fail the class. You know, just, and let's say I took a test. And on the first exam, instead of solving all the calculus problems, I wanted to talk about my back pain and how uncomfortable it was to be sitting there in a room taking calculus exam. And I wrote some essay on that. It, uh, I would quickly fail the course. And so why suddenly in an insight context, which presumably is an you know, educational activity, just like any other one where we expect the teachers to teach us something, we are expected to follow their instructions. Suddenly in the insight context, that's all thrown out the window right you can pretty much get away with anything the teachers just kind of nod and smile and try to meet you where you are and hold your hand and it's all okay you know and i mean it's patently ridiculous and yet somehow this is the culture that we seem to have evolved into and it's no wonder um that a lot of people who i'm sure have the capability to get strong concentration and i have little doubt if properly instructed would have the capability to get into the territory for themselves so they would know it for themselves and be able to do the stuff for themselves and and get realized and all that, somehow it's just absurd that these teachers let them get away with all the stuff they do. And just like any class where there's not, you know, proper uh, control and respect for the teacher, things get out of hand and then, you know, it's all rambling and, and confused. So uh, anyway, my take on it. Mm. So would you say, right. I mean, in the example you gave of calculus, it's pretty clear when you go into a calculus class, this is the curriculum, this is what you're learning. Do you get the sense that when someone goes into a meditation retreat in the West, that the curriculum isn't as clear? Or do you think it's, it's as clear, but people just don't, maybe impersonal, like uh, the going for impersonal realization, maybe that's just counterintuitive for people. It's not the kind of knowledge they're used to. They're used to most knowledge being in the realm of the personal, or well, at least impacting them. I hear what them. you're saying, but I think that, you know, uh, the, if you're going to a technique to learn, say, Vipassana, yeah. um, you know, Vipassana involves... Uh, sitting down on a cushion, attaining some sort of sustainable posture, uh, directing the attention to the specific ad objects, and noticing the universal characteristics of them. Right. You know, that sort of, you know, insight practice in general terms. Right. And um, that's very specific. That's a very specific body of knowledge. It's a very specific technique. And yes, there are different <laughs> techniques. Some use mantras, some use the breath, some use visualization, some use combinations of those, some use other objects, choiceless awareness. Yet, there are very specific instructions, and all these traditions are very specific traditions, and that's the curriculum. Right. And usually that's spelled out. And yet the number of people who just somehow don't get that and don't hear that and think it's all about their own sort of confused use of things is astounding. And what's amazing is I've seen so many people on retreats who are, you know, PhD psychotherapists and, you know, and MDs and, and, you know, CPAs and accountants and people who have a fantastic capacity for learning and knowledge and achievement and accomplishment and have, you know, had to discipline themselves and do all kinds of incredibly difficult, hard things. Mm -hmm. Suddenly, because they have such a massive amount of conceptual baggage, when they walk into these situations, they're completely incapable of hearing what the teacher is saying and nearly incapable of doing it, mm. or so it seems. Um, and yet, I think that somehow because, you know, you don't get the one-on-one -on -one time with the teacher who just says, no, this is how it's done, this is what we're here to learn, and if you do that, it will get you lots of good things. And these are what those things are. It's just astounding to me how many times those conversations specifically like that do not happen. Right, right. Well said, said Daniel. Cool. So, I'm seeing at least two things that might change. So one, one's at the level of the students and the people coming in 
to these kind of practice situations. So there's something that needs to change there. And then there's something sounds like you're saying needs to change with the way that the teachers not just teach the curriculum, because it sounds like they're doing that pretty clearly, but then following up with the way the students are actually taking to the curriculum, like their understanding of what they're supposed to be doing. So how, how might, I guess we can talk about students since you, most of the people probably listening to this are students in one way or another. How can we as students get unstuck if we're stuck in, you know, psychological content or just wanting to be accepted socially or, you know, one of the many things you mentioned earlier, how can we get unstuck? And then how will we know once we're making progress and we're unstuck? It's, it seems that, uh, one of the, one of the reasons of, uh, being stuck is not being aware that one is stuck. Mm. I believe that this sort of this sort of unstucking uh, should come from uh, from people who are already in uh, certain places with their practice. Uh, they should be more clear about it in their own communities, mm. and I believe that teachers should. Uh, it's it's hard for this it's hard for this process to start from a from a student who is stuck but is not aware he's or she is stuck mm-hmm. and uh, they may believe they are doing everything correctly all right so they they are just they just need to be patient and continue doing it for another 20 years mm-hmm. and then perhaps they will experience a stream entry mm-hmm. and then if they continue for another 20 years perhaps they will experience some another interesting thing yeah but unfortunately uh, they may not have those 60 or 80 years to go through the process. <laughs> so uh, this process of unstucking should be made clear by holding up a mirror of uh, clear uh, accomplishment mm-hmm. in whatever practice one is following. Okay. And that mirror, should, that mirror should be held not just by those who have accomplishment, but also by those who don't have accomplishment. And this is a very fair thing. Uh, as Daniel was saying, when we get into some course or some school to learn something, there's no bad feelings about me or you not knowing the math right. or, not know, or not knowing some foreign language. There's nothing wrong with anyone not knowing something. You came here to learn. So even after, after two years, you have some problems with this uh, subject matter. It's no problem. You are a slow learner, but you are still making some progress. So I think... The first thing to do is hold a, hold a clear mirror reflecting uh, stages or levels of accomplishment without any special complex. Mm-hmm. But this is a huge issue in this is a huge issue in 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 some cultural context where everyone is supposed to be the same in some way. Uh, I'm okay and you're okay, right? Right. So right. It's 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 presumed if. Uh, I'm more accomplished than you, or vice versa. If I'm less accomplished, something's wrong with me, right? Right. So this sort of thinking must be not just discouraged, but attacked uh, head on. Yeah. Uh, this is this is ruining uh, the the serious uh, the sincere efforts of some people to actually uh, go to some place with their practice. So I think this is the first step to develop a clear language that talks about accomplishment or right. lack thereof, right. that talks about efforts and results that we have in our practices or lack thereof. Okay. Yeah, I completely agree with everything you said. Um, having clear maps and a clear uh, 
you know, sense of expectation of what should pe- people should be able to do and the stages they should be able to get to. First, you know, be able to find the breath or find their feet or find their mantra. Second, be able yeah. to stabilize concentration on it. Third, be able to, you know, begin to notice universal characteristics and, and then develop those out to include the whole of one's perspective and any, you know, fine points of the stages that one wants to add um, in that. I think people should be much, traditions in general should be much more explicit about the map so that people can see the little bits of progress they're making and know what it is they're supposed to be able to do next. You know, first, you know, just like calculus, first you learn your numbers and then you add that one, learn that one plus one is two and you learn multiplication and division and then algebra and geometry and you go to pre-cal and then you can do calculus. And those, it's a standard set of stages. It's all, you know, get out for you if you want to learn calculus. Right. Same thing with the stages of insight meditation. These are very well-defined stages and the traditions have very good maps. And I think people should be much more clear about that and their own accomplishment and the difficulties and successes that they went through when people are teaching. I think people should be much more straightforward about this stuff as if it wasn't some weird, mystical, taboo, freaky thing, but it was just one more thing that people can learn, just like anything else, which I really and firmly uh, believe and know that it is. And the other, uh, Hokai raises an excellent point about the questions of egalitarianism mm-hmm. versus hierarchy. Right. Um, and from my point of view, the other way to look at that is there are people who know things and have certain area of expertise. And if you want to learn that, it makes sense to go hang out with them. And that's just yeah, yeah. reasonable. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. not strange yeah. or freakish or authoritarian or, you know, blindly oh. egalitarian. That's just exactly. normal. And so it makes good sense, you know, if you want to learn to do something to have to find people who know how to do it. And I have a, a, a friend who I believe you uh, know uh, very well, Vince, who I was uh, recently talking to, mm-hmm. who said that, you know, he had some insights and yet was having a very hard time uh, coming out to people about those because the reactions he was getting uh, were very bad. And people would say, oh, you're, you know, the enlightened person or whatever. Oh, yeah, whatever. You know, and, right. and saying uh, snide things like this. And those kinds of things can be a real problem where rather than, you know, people saying, hey, that's a person, maybe I could ask how this is done. They instead contract in, to comparison and jealousy rather than seeing, hey, there's an opportunity to really learn something. And I think that's a serious problem. And the notion that everyone is sort of on the same level with regard to uh, this is simply preposterous. There are people who have very strong concentration s- skills and people who have medium concentration skills and people who have almost no concentration at all. There are people who have attained to various stages of insight. There are people who are at various stages of awakening. And that's just true. I was always excited to find people who were at you know, various stages of awakening that were, you know, or had concentration abilities that were higher than what I had because then I could ask them how it was done and I found those people very inspiring and so I find it very strange when people have weird reactions to this stuff, you know, because I was always looking for good teachers and I found good teachers few and far between and, are, you know, they're time expensive to obtain and all that. So yeah. I'm always strangely surprised when people go, oh, you're the one who's inside, blah, blah, blah. you know, the reactions people can have can just be extraordinarily uh, bad. This has been a presentation of BuddhistGeeks.com, copyright 2007. Music in this podcast provided by C for Chaos. For more great music and writing, visit his blog at www.cforchaos.com. Join us for the fourth annual Buddhist Geeks Conference, hosted in partnership with Mindful Cyborgs and Shambhala Sun from October 16th through the 19th in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. This year's conference will be exploring the convergence of Buddhism with modern culture and technology.
through informative keynote presentations, idea-packed TED-style talks, self-organizing community dialogues, and contemplative workshops and practice periods. This year's list of presenters includes the world's most quantified man, Chris Dancy, abbot of the village Zendo in New York City, Roshi Pat Enkyo O'Hara, and pragmatic Dharma provocateur, Daniel Ingram, as well as many others. For more information and to register, visit BuddhistGeeks.com slash conference. After nearly a year in private beta, the Buddhist Geeks Network is now open for any independent practitioners who want to engage in interdependent practice. You can find out more about the Buddhist Geeks Network by visiting BuddhistGeeks.network. And if you'd like to join the community and join us in regular social meditation practice or other events that we host there in the network, all freely offered, you're very welcome to do so, again, by visiting BuddhistGeeks.network. Love to see you there.